0: Well, when I was an undergraduate student at Hastings College, I became a part of a world religions study group. And I was probably 20 years old, I had just become a Christian a short time before that, but I'd always been curious about what people believe and why they believe it and how they practice whatever it is that they believe. And I had a lot of that in my background from my family of origin and that curiosity remained And as a new Christian, I wanted to get together with people and continue to talk philosophy and learn about religious beliefs and do compare and contrast, and it became an opportunity for for me to understand more of what I believe and why I believe. And what we would do in this group is gather together on a monthly basis and talk, but then also we would go to a different religious assembly of some kind each month went to a variety of different churches and we went to a Jewish synagogue and we went to a Greek Orthodox church and we even went to a little Hindu temple in Omaha where we didn't worship there, but we just got a tour of the facilities and tried to learn from the leaders there. And then we would come back and we would debrief our experiences. And one particular Sunday, we went to a foot stomping, fire breathing, Holy Ghost filled stomp in the rows and shout out loud Pentecostal church in downtown Hastings. And it was something. I'd never experienced anything like this in my life. And we were in that church for for some two hours as I heard a pastor preach, and then preach some more, and then preach some more. And then as people were singing and praying, and I heard people speaking in some foreign language that I couldn't really decipher. And I heard other people laughing in other parts of the church and tried to figure all this out. And I didn't know what I was experiencing. But by the end of the two hour service, something came upon me that had never happened before or since. I started to shake. And I was sitting in my chair and I couldn't get up as I continued to shake. And then these tears started to stream from my eyes, and they wouldn't stop. And eventually, after a little while, the rest of the students were looking at me like, I don't know who this guy is. I'm not with him. And they were also looking at their clocks. We've been here two hours. This is long enough, Adrian. Can we get going? But I couldn't really move. And eventually, the pastor came over to me and asked me my name. And I asked him, Is this the Holy Spirit? That's what I asked him. Did the Holy Spirit finally come to me? Again, I'm a brand new Christian. I don't know anything. And he said to me, No, this is an indication that you want the Holy Spirit. And I had already become a follower of Christ, and we know that when you become a follower of Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes into you. At the moment you believe the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, at that moment, you never get more filled. You get filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. But I didn't know all of that. And so I said, well, I, yeah, I, I want the Holy Spirit, absolutely. And so he said, here's two booklets. Once you go home and you read these two booklets and then come back and talk to me. And so I did well what he said. I went home and I read one booklet that said, so you want the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. And I read another booklet that said, so you want to speak in tongues. And so I read through these and I did what they said. And I, I asked God, would you please give me this gift of tongues? And I asked some more. And I begged. And I even started to move my lips and gyrate my tongue to kind of prime the pump, if you will. And nothing happened. And so I went back into this pastor and I told him on my experience that nothing happened. He asked me what my belief was about the Holy Spirit that Did I understand that God wants all people to have the Holy Spirit and that the gift of tongues is the evidence of the Holy Spirit and God wants you to have it, he wants everyone to have it? And I said, well, I don't know that God wants everyone to have it, like I really asked for it and he didn't give it to me. And he said, your problem, Adrian, is you don't understand, you don't believe that God wants everyone to have it. That's your problem. And if you would just get that idea out of here, I would pray over you right now and I will help you and you will speak in tongues in this moment and you'll get the Holy Spirit. And again, I don't have but an ounce of wisdom at this point. I'm 20 years old. I don't know, I wasn't raised in the church. I know almost nothing. But God gave me in this moment a little bit of clarity such that I really believe was far from God. I looked up to the pastor and I said, with all due respect, I just believe that if God wants to give me the gift of tongues, he'll do it himself. And I left his office, said thank you, and left his office. And I went out of there and got into a healthy, well-balanced church, and my faith remained secure, but I was traumatized by that. And for the next years, I kind of felt like maybe I'm a second-class Christian, because I had some friends who did seem to have this gift, and I didn't. And it was a weird experience that gave me the heebie-jeebies, and I kind of felt left out. And so the result of all this was, for quite some time, when pastors would talk about the Holy Spirit, I just kind of tuned out and avoided that third person of the Trinity. Oof. Has anyone been there? That you avoid this third person of Trinity but because of some excesses that perhaps you've seen elsewhere? It raised the question for us who is this wonderful, miraculous Holy Spirit that is promised to us by Jesus, and what does he do? There are some groups, which I've already noted, that tend to overemphasize the Holy Spirit and overemphasize the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit and talk about him so much that it kind of starts to feel a little bit weird. Can I say that? And I think there's others that kind of react to that. And there might be some people here in this room that kind of react to that and say, I don't want to talk about him at all. Like, the Father I know, I respect and I revere him. The Son I love and I know that he came and he saved me. But the Holy Spirit, not so sure what to do with him. So much so that one theologian has called the Holy Spirit the Cinderella of the Godhead. Many Christians just kind of conveniently forget him. We're often not sure what to do with him. One well known pastor and author by the name of Francis Chan has written a wonderful book called The Forgotten God. We'll have it out at the resource table next week. We don't have it here today, unfortunately, but we are talking about the Holy Spirit here for a few weeks as Jesus leads us through John 16 and 17. And Francis Chan says this in a thin, easy to read, but really, really helpful book on the Holy Spirit. He says this, if we read and believed these New Testament accounts that we all have, we would expect a great deal of the Holy Spirit. If you read the Holy Spirit, on, if you read the New Testament honestly, you're going to expect a lot of the Holy Spirit. We would not be mostly, he would not be mostly a forgotten member of the Godhead whom we occasionally give a nod of recognition too, which is what he has become in most American churches. We would expect our new life with the Holy Spirit to look radically different from our old life without the Holy Spirit. So let me just say, let me put it out there, the beginning of this two-message series within the Gospel of John, it's really unfortunate that these two trends have developed One that overemphasizes to the point of giving you the heebie-jeebies. And another that underemphasizes such that we miss out on the third person of the Trinity and all of his ministry which is so powerful for you and me today. And so what we'd like to do here for these next two weeks is talk about the Holy Spirit, how he is the spirit of truth, how he's an advocate that leads us to truth, And this week, it's about how he convicts us to truth, and next week, it's how he guides us into the truth. How he convicts us to truth, and then how he guides us into the truth. We're going to be in John 16 for the most part, but we're going to start with the final couple verses of John 15. Turn there with me now. I know you've been marking up your Bible as we've gone through the book of John, uh, for most of this year and throughout the summer, other pastors have done a phenomenal job, and we're continuing in the Gospel of John through the remainder of the year up until Christmas. encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the church app or the YouVersion app, but we're at John 15, verse 26 and 27 to start. When the advocate comes, these are the words of Jesus, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of truth, he is the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So, this advocate is coming from the Father and from the Son, and he is the Spirit of truth who testifies about Christ. He's a Spirit of truth. He doesn't bring disorder, he brings order. He doesn't bring silliness, he brings truth. And so also this advocate who comes to us, he supports us and he helps us. Like when you think of an advocate, what word comes to mind? Anyone? Shout back. Talk in church time. Social worker, helper. Okay, I heard from the venue. Lawyer. Champion. Supporter. Counselor. Advocate. Helper. All of these words comprise what the Holy Spirit is for us. He's one who speaks up on our behalf when we are in need, comforting us and guiding us, but also convicting us to the truth, and a good advocate not only comforts and guides you, but also tells you when you're off course, right? You have good advocates, hopefully in your life, if you ever have to get legal counsel, you want good legal counsel who would speak up when you're off course, and help you get back on course. This is what an advocate does, comforts and convicts us toward the truth. Now friends, if you are going through the kinds of things that the disciples were about to go through, you would want to know that you have an advocate who speaks up for you. Things are about to get really heavy. In the story here, in the Gospel of John, we're just a few short days away from Jesus being arrested. So Jesus preparing his disciples that things are about to get heavy for him and things are about to get really intense for them as well. Read again with me, starting at verse 26 once again. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also, you disciples, must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Imagine that. People believe that they are serving God as they eject you from your place of worship. People believing that they are serving God as they kill you as you are seeking to follow God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Now, you've got to remember the context of this passage that Jordan spoke about so wonderfully last week. The system of this world is a system that hates the truth hates the truth with a capital T, and they hate the self-sacrificing, loving, other-centered ethic of Jesus that says, it's not about me. The system of the world says, no, it is all about you, it's about me, myself, and I. But the system of Christ says, no, it's not about me, and the system of the world hates that. And so what Jesus is saying here is that Satan is so viciously working through the system of the world in Jesus' day that the system of the world would begin to persecute Jesus' disciples and they would believe, they would falsely believe that they are killing Jesus' disciples on behalf of God, which is exactly what happened. Peter was crucified upside down. He begged to be crucified upside down because he didn't believe he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner as a Savior. Paul was beheaded by the Roman authorities. Andrew and James were stoned to death by Jewish religious authorities because they saw the resurrected Christ and they wouldn't shut up about it. The disciple named Thomas moved from doubt to belief after he saw the evidence of Christ and then he became a missionary in India where he was impaled by Hindu priests because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. This was the end for the remaining 11 disciples of Jesus, with the one exception being the Apostle John, who wrote this gospel and the book of Revelation. He wrote those from the island of Patmos. And when you think of John writing on the island of Patmos, do not think about the Hawaiian Islands. It ain't that. Think more like Nelson Mandela on Robben Island, falsely convicted and sent there to a prison camp. That's where the Apostle John is as he's writing the Gospel of John and then the book of Revelation. So also this happens in many different areas around the world today. Jordan mentioned Afghanistan, but the same has been true for many, many years, many decades in China, which has been banished from public worship in the public sphere, but Chinese Christians still continue to worship in underground, clandestine churches where nobody can find them, and they choose to worship in fear of death, because they do not love their own lives more than they love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, that's what we're being invited to, is to not love our own lives more than we would love the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would love the gospel of Jesus Christ so much more that we would not shrink back in fear of death related to anything. Man, is there a witness in here today? This is what we're invited to, Such that when you go through something like that, if he was ever to come to you, you want an advocate. An internal witness, the Holy Spirit who says, I will never forsake you. There is someone who is always with you and inside you. Someone who is always convicting you of the truth that to live is Christ and to die is, to die is gain. So what can man really do to you? That's what we need. We need a Holy Spirit who would be with us to embolden us through whatever suffering we may experience even today. And there's a lot of people suffering a lot right now. I'm seeing it all over the place. There's more people suffering right now than perhaps I've seen in my entire ministry. I couldn't believe the number of suffering experiences I read on those catch-up cards last week from you. Thank you for sharing those with me. It was a delight to pray over you all last week. But there's great needs. And as you go through great suffering, whatever it might be, whether it be from resistance or an illness or the loss of a friend or challenge at work, whatever it might be, you got to know that you have an advocate who speaks up truth on your behalf, who is always with you and for you and will never forsake you. The spirit who lives in you is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. So thankful for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes on to level with us a few different ways that the Holy Spirit would convict us as we listen to him. Verse five, it goes on to say this. Now I am going to him who sent me. Again, he's preparing his disciples. I'm about to leave you. I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where are you going. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good Now, when I read that passage and I look particularly above verse 7, that kind of jumps off the page to me. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away. And I'm kind of like, nah, I beg to differ. I would much prefer to have you right here next to me, giving me guidance along the way. Anyone else? Yeah, we would really like that. We were talking about this in our life group a few weeks ago, and we all kind of agreed we'd like to have Jesus right next to us, guiding us on what to do, that we would always know God's will and we would always follow him. But Jesus says, it's better that I go away for this very simple common sense reason. It's a little bit of theology here. When Jesus came to earth for his 33 years, he was localized, okay? He divested himself. He emptied himself for his 33 years on earth of some of his divine attributes, including what is called his omnipresence. So consider this. For his 33 years on earth, Yes, God was still always present to everyone everywhere through the Father, but Jesus himself was localized in the time and place called A.D. 0 to 33 and the place of Syria to Israel to Palestine to Egypt and only to people in that particular region. But if he goes and he sends his spirit who is omnipresent, always and everywhere present with us, that would be better for us. That would mean that he quite literally, if you've bowed your knee to Christ in a real way, not to just get these benefits for yourself, but you actually bowed your knee to Christ and you said, I want you to be Lord over all of my life, then in a very real way, as sure as you're sitting in these seats today, so also the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Like, as confident as you can be in the chair you're sitting in right now, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you by faith in Jesus Christ. And so, this is better because He can be with you. And He can be with you in the venue. And He can be with you that are watching online. And He can be with believers in Africa. And with believers who are suffering in Afghanistan. He can be with believers in South America, in Colombia, and all over the world, amongst all who call on the name of Christ, he is present with us and is an advocate, convicting us of truth and leading us back to the Father. I love the way Pastor J.D. Greer puts it, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He says, the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. Really? It's true. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you because you can connect with the Spirit in one another as we collectively submit to God. What I want to do here for the remainder of our time is just share with you three ways that the Holy Spirit ministers to us by convicting us of truth. Again, today is conviction. Next week is the Holy Spirit's guidance. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and then he draws us to the Father's forgiveness. The Holy Spirit convicts you and me of our sin, and then he draws us in to the Father's forgiveness. Where do we see this? Verse 8 and 9. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the preamble for all three of these, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he says first about sin, because people do not believe in me. Okay, quick show of hands, who was born a Christian? Man, we got some good theologically trained people in this room. Oh, that's right. None of us was born a Christian. Okay, quick show of hands. Now you know the bait is coming. (laughs) Who became a Christian because you were such a good American? Ah, good, very good. How about who who just kind of believed up, kind of pulled themselves up and believed up on Jesus and got all their questions answered and then they became a Christian? Okay, good. Good. We're theologically trained in here. Now here's what happened. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. And God came and He rescued you. We were born sinners. We needed rescue and he convicts us of our sin, and draws us to repentance, and then brings us to the Father's forgiveness. I was a mess, and God sent this life preserver out called Jesus, and I simply said, thank you. And he saved me, not because of any righteous things that I have done, but because of his mercy. 100%, this is the testimony of God. And outside of that understanding, there can be no forgiveness. He convicts us and leads us to our knees where we repent and draws us to the Father's forgiveness. And he does this for the world, and at one time or another, all of us were a part of the world, right? At one time or another, all of us are part of the world. And I'm speaking this way about us today, even though Jesus is talking about conviction of the world, because all of us are tempted by the world every day. And I'm speaking this way about conviction of us, not just conviction of the world, because the simple truth is, there are some people in this room here today that are living halfway in the kingdom of Christ and halfway in the kingdom of this world. And Jesus says you can't. If you do, you are not his. You can't have it both ways. And so it's his love that convicts us. The Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us of our wrong and leads us back to repentance. I personally believe this is necessary throughout life. We are saved once by God but we continue to be convicted of our sin by the Holy Spirit throughout life, and that's really, really good for us because what it does is it keeps us with a clean conscience before God. As I'm convicted of my sin, then I have opportunity to confess my need for God and to receive his forgiveness, and if I don't do that, friends, if you don't do that, slowly but surely over time, I plead with you as your pastor, over time, I gotta tell you, slowly but surely, if you do not do that, what will happen is your conscience will get seared. And it's frightening when you see a Christian who one day bowed their knee to the Lord, but they refuse to admit their stubbornness and their pride and their greed and whatever else, and their conscience slowly but surely gets seared. And so it's the grace of God to give us the gift of repentance. Again and again and again, to draw us to our knees, that the Holy Spirit would convict us and show us the need for the Father's forgiveness. Second, the Holy Spirit convicts us of the Father's expectations and the Son's completion of the Father's expectation. Again, this preamble, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. The second area, he will prove about righteousness because i am going to the father where you can see me no longer so he convicts us of god's standard of righteousness the holy spirit comes to us and convicts us that god's standard of righteousness is like way up there i lost my vertical a long time ago and my standards like way down here compared to his i actually have pretty high standards just ask our staff I have pretty high standards. But my standards are way down here compared to God's standards. You wanna know what God's standard is? Listen to the words of Jesus. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's his standard. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. Jesus says elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, the most religious people in all of Israel, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that brings conviction. Fortunately, what comes next is the son's comfort, that the son brings completion of that standard. You see, the very purpose of God's perfect standard in the law is to bring us to a reality that we could never achieve it that we are in need of a savior, and we can stop trying harder. Thank you, Jesus, I can stop trying harder. And so Jesus comes in and he provides the completion of that standard. He provides his righteousness on our behalf in order to bring us to God. And so you look there again at verse nine, it says, convict us of righteousness because I am going to the Father. That's Jesus just saying this is what's about to happen. I'm about to die for your sins, And fulfill God's standard of righteousness, and then I'm going to the Father, quite literally, where I will be in the throne room of God, omnipresent there. Okay, so I'm going to complete the work that God has given me to do, then I'm going to the Father, and I'm giving my righteousness to anyone who trusts in me. To which I'm like, man, thank you, Lord Jesus, I am taking that. And the promise is this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him, Jesus, who was perfectly righteous and had no sin, to become sin for us. Because we were sinful, because we are sinful, in order that we, through him, might become the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us of the Father's standard of righteousness, and then the Son's completion of that standard. I know this is high theology, It's Jesus substitute his perfection for our imperfection. Perhaps this little illustration will will help. This summer I got an opportunity to play in a golf tournament with a couple guys at this church and another pastor in town. It was for the Kearney High School Athletic Association and the Kearney High School uh, athletic teams. And it was a lot of fun over at Metal Art Golf Course. And uh, two of the guys on our team hit the ball off, off the tee a country mile. And I hit the ball off the tee, and it goes about, I don't know, 150 yards, and then it takes a sharp right turn, which if you're not a golfer, that's not good. And so this is called a four-person scramble. We take the best ball off the tee. I don't think my ball was selected a single time. I had this, some, some chip shots, and maybe one or two times, I had a couple good shots. But we had a guy, when we got to the green, that would just come up to the green, and he hit these, like, 15, 20-foot putts like they were layups, And then I was going into these four foot putts and I would rim them off the edge of the cup. And even so, we got to the end of the golf tournament and we go into the clubhouse and they announced the winners of the golf tournament and our team got second place such that everyone on our team got these nice gift cards to Metal Art golf course. And I'm like, how do I get this golf gift card when I didn't contribute anything of value to this prize? I simply accrued their righteous golfing benefits on my behalf. Okay, their righteousness for my unrighteousness to bring me a price. I didn't even need the Holy Spirit's help to know that. But I do need the Holy Spirit's help to realize that I am far below the Father's standard. And I need the Son's completion in order to receive His benefits that are way better than a little gift card. Okay, thanks for humoring me. Point number three here, conviction area number three. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of its rebellion and its ultimate judgment. This is the third area of the Holy Spirit's convicting work, comes out of the death, resurrection of Jesus, where there is a condemnation of Satan. And I know this is a heavy passage, but I'm simply just preaching verse by verse the words of Jesus here. Once again, when he comes, the Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong, and he will prove the world to be in the wrong about judgment. He will ultimately bring about judgment because the prince of this world and this world system now stands condemned. Jesus regularly refers to Satan, our spiritual enemy, as the prince of the world. The Apostle Paul refers to Satan as the God of this world with a lower G. Okay? It's serious business. You have to do battle against the enemy and against the world system because he's constantly enticing us through the junk that we see everywhere from left and right. We're not looking to be left or right. We're looking for the kingdom of God, right? He's constantly enticing us to be angry, to be fearful, to be lustful, to be greedy. Whatever it might be, he's constantly enticing us. Now Satan is a condemned criminal. He was condemned on the cross of Jesus Christ. But he's kind of like a condemned murderer that's on death row. The condemnation has already been set, the verdict has already been given, but he's waiting for his coming execution. Or to put another way, he's kind of like a chicken with his head cut off. He's dead, but he's still running around making a mess of things, isn't he? And so we have to be prepared. We have to take our stand against the enemy and his evil schemes, recognizing that he does continue to entice. Like, do you ever watch the news or read the paper or however you get your news, and you say, how could anybody do that? Anyone else? I do. Or how about this? Do you ever have a thought come into your mind, and you say, whoa, where'd that come from? How can I think that? Do I got a witness? I do. Okay, you got to be on your guard. This is the work of the enemy who comes to steal and kill and destroy. This is the work of the enemy who engages a battle that is for our mind. We have to fight the battle for our mind that we would think on things above and not on things below. I don't have the guts to say what I'm preaching today. I don't have the guts to say what I'm about to say. But this is the word of Jesus as we're kind of synthesizing a lot in the Gospel of John now as we turn a corner toward the end of this Gospel. Jesus says over in John chapter 8 that there's really just two teams. And the question really is, which team are you on? There's a team that's called the Kingdom of Christ, and there's another team that's called the Kingdom of Satan the prince of this world, and there's no in-between. And actually, what Jesus says in John chapter eight is, if you think you're kind of in the kingdom of Christ, but really you withhold certain areas of your life for yourself and not for the sovereignty of God to reign and to dictate what you would do, then actually you're over here in the kingdom of this world. And there is no middle ground. And Jesus would bring us to that. And friends, right now, if you're listening to me and you're feeling this sweaty feeling of conviction down your back, this intense experience of, I don't really like what he's saying, I just want you to possibly consider, could that be the Holy Spirit's conviction for you? Like, could it be in his severity and his love actually giving you an experience of conviction right now that you would say, it's now time to let go of this tacky church veneer kind of thing and go all in? Could that be? Because the Holy Spirit brings conviction related to the ultimate judgment of everything in this world system that is in rebellion to God and will ultimately be judged by him. All of us are going to be judged The question is, will the verdict be forgiven and not condemned because you've been painted by the blood of Christ, or will the verdict be not forgiven and condemned because you used the blood of Christ a little bit for your own benefits, but really just sought to do your own thing? It'll be one or the other. Here's a really good question to ask. And I need some of your participation to cut through the intensity in this room. Holy Spirit, where would you convict me today? Say that out loud with me. Holy Spirit, where would you convict me today? Or how about this? Holy Spirit, where am I off today? Holy Spirit, where am I off today I say something like that to God every day when my kids go to bed we say Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 search me O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in your way everlasting and the Holy Spirit brings conviction which is a scalpel to be sure and it hurts but then it leads to healing. Like a doctor's good scalpel, it hurts at first, but then it leads to healing as he brings us to conviction and repentance and forgiveness, which leaves no regret and brings us back into the good graces of God. I had an experience like this just this last week that we were getting the kids ready for school, and I don't know what getting ready for school is like in your house, but sometimes in our house it's chaotic. And Susie gave instruction to the boys, and I gave her a stank-eye look that no husband should ever give to his wife. And after looking at Susie the wrong way, I immediately felt this level of conviction in my heart. And then Susie helped that level of conviction. (laughs) To let me know just how it felt. And I went in the car with my boys and I realized from the Holy Spirit what I just did was wrong. And my boys witnessed it. And I had to apologize to them and then call my wife and apologize to her. And most important, apologize to God, because every sin against any person is ultimately an offense against holy God, which release the pressure valve. At ease. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give us the heebie jeebies. He comes to bring his loving direction his convictions, his guidance, his advocacy unto truth to make us more like Christ, our Savior. Let's pray to him. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are God. You are no less God than the Father or Jesus the Son. You are God most high. And we just say as we prepare to sing and as we sit here in our rows and we sit at home and over in the venue, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, would you be present with us here now? Thank you that you are already present, but would you make us aware of your presence with us? We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do not leave us alone that you have come to dwell in us, to be our advocate, to guide us into the truth and to convict us when we've missed the truth. Holy Spirit, we'd have to admit that we've probably missed the mark in some way this past week. Perhaps we've even missed the mark in some way this morning. Would you show us, Holy Spirit, where we are off? I pray for all my friends in this room here today. Is there some way that you want to show us where we're off the mark? Some way that you'd like to convict us of the truth, of our sin, of our great need for a Savior? Holy Spirit, we welcome you now. Thank you that ultimately you bring liberation. Ultimately, you free our conscience of all guilt. Ultimately, you release that pressure valve and you give us freedom. And so I pray for my friends who have just repented, who have just confessed their need for you, that you would now give them wisdom if there's anyone that they need to get right with and simultaneously release that pressure valve that they would move forward in the freedom of Christ. It's for freedom. That Christ Jesus has set you free. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us your spirit to dwell in us now. Today and throughout this week, we'll be careful to look to you whenever we miss the mark. In Christ's name we pray, amen.